Hi, and welcome to Fido, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. Continuing with our folklore episodes, today we're taking a trip to Russia. Well, today's topic is a little bit of a fairy tale and a little bit of folklore, it seems. While she's definitely a folkloric character, a lot of the things I came across in my research remind me of other characters and stories from some of the fairy tales I've covered so far. And some that I haven't. Yet. Today, we're talking about Baba Yaga, the Slavic forest witch. The story today has a lot of the defining elements for Baba Yaga, and yet you may pick up on some parts of this story that coincide with other European fairy tales from neighboring cultures. We'll talk more about it after the story. I'm also going to include the foreword from the book that I'm reading from. I thought it was too interesting not to. And now, as retold by Vera Zinofantovna Kalamatiano de Blumenthal... That was a mouthful. In Folk Tales from the Russian in 1903, Baba Yaga. Forward. In Russia, as elsewhere in the world, folklore is rapidly scattering before the practical spirit of modern progress. The traveling peasant bard or storyteller and the devoted nyanya the beloved nurse of many a generation, are rapidly dying out, and with them, the tales and legends. The last echoes of the nation's early joys and sufferings, hopes and fears, are passing away. The student of folklore knows that the time has come when haste is needed to catch these vanishing songs of the nation's youth, and to preserve them for the delight of future generations. In sending forth the stories in the present volume, all of which are here set down in print for the first time, it is my hope that they may enable American children to share with the children of Russia the pleasure of glancing into the magic world of the old Slavic nation. The Author Somewhere, I cannot tell you exactly where, but certainly in vast Russia, There lived a peasant with his wife, and they had twins, a son and a daughter. One day the wife died, and the husband mourned over her, very sincerely, for a long time. One year passed, and two years, and even longer. But there is no order in a house without a woman, and a day came when the man thought, if I marry again, possibly it would turn out all right. And so he did, and had children by his second wife. The stepmother was envious of the stepson and daughter and began to use them hardly. She scolded them without any reason, sent them away from home as often as she wished, and gave them scarcely enough to eat. Finally, she wanted to get rid of them altogether. Do you know what it means to allow a wicked thought to enter one's heart? The wicked thought grows all the time like a poisonous plant and slowly kills the good thoughts. A wicked feeling was growing in the stepmother's heart, and she determined to send the children to the witch, thinking sure enough that they would never return. "'Dear children,' she said to the orphans, "'go to my grandmother who lives in the forest in a hut on hen's feet. 
You will do everything she wants you to, and she will give you sweet things to eat, and you will be happy. The orphans started out, but instead of going to the witch, the sister, a bright little girl, took her brother by the hand and ran to their own old, old grandmother and told her all about their going to the forest. "'Oh, my poor darlings,' said the good old grandmother, pitying the children, "'my heart aches for you, but it is not in my power to help you. You have to go not to a loving grandmother, but to a wicked witch.' "'Now listen to me, my darlings,' she continued. "'I will give you a hint. "'Be kind and good to everyone. "'Do not speak ill words to anyone. "'Do not despise helping the weakest, "'and always hope that for you, too, "'there will be the needed help.' "'The good old grandmother gave the children "'some delicious fresh milk to drink, "'and to each a big slice of ham. "'She also gave them some cookies. "'There are cookies everywhere.' and when the children departed, she stood looking after them a long, long time. The obedient children arrived at the forest, and, oh wonder, there stood a hut, and what a curious one! It stood on tiny hen's feet, and at the top was a rooster's head. With their shrill, childish voices, they called out loud, "'Izbushka! Izbushka! Turn thy back to the forest and thy front to us!' The hut did as they commanded, The two orphans looked inside and saw the witch resting there, her head near the threshold, one foot in the corner and the other foot in another corner, and her knees quite close to the ridgepole. "'Foo, foo, foo!' exclaimed the witch. "'I feel the Russian spirit!' The children were afraid and stood close, very close together, but in spite of their fear they said very politely, "'Ho, grandmother, our stepmother sent us to thee to serve thee!' "'All right. I am not opposed to keeping you, children. "'If you satisfy all my wishes, I shall reward you. "'If not, I shall eat you up.' "'Without any delay, the witch ordered the girl to spin the thread, "'and the boy, her brother, to carry in a sieve to fill a big tub. "'The poor orphan girl wept at her spinning wheel and wiped away her bitter tears. "'At once all around her appeared small mice, squeaking and saying— "'Sweet girl, do not cry. Give us cookies and we will help thee.' The little girl willingly did so. "'Now,' gratefully squeaked the mice, "'go and find the black cat. He is very hungry. Give him a slice of ham, and he will help thee.' The girl speedily went in search of the cat and saw her brother in great distress about the tub. So many times he had filled the sieve, yet the tub was still dry. The little birds passed, flying nearby, and chirped to the children. "'Kind-hearted little children, give us some crumbs and we will advise you.' The orphans gave the birds some crumbs, and the grateful birds chirped again. "'Some clay and water, children, dear.' Then away they flew through the air. The children understood the hint, spat in the sieve, plastered it up with clay, and filled the tub in a very short time. Then they both returned to the hut, and on the threshold met the black cat— They generously gave him some of the good ham which their good grandmother had given them, petted him, and asked, "'Dear Kitty Cat, black and pretty, tell us what to do in order to get away from thy mistress, the witch.' "'Well,' very seriously answered the cat, "'I will give you a towel and a comb, and then you must run away. When you hear the witch running after you, drop the towel behind your back, and a large river will appear in place of the towel.' 
If you hear her once more, throw down the comb, and in place of the comb there will appear a dark wood. This wood will protect you from the wicked witch, my mistress. Baba Yaga came home just then. Is it not wonderful, she thought. Everything is exactly right. Well, she said to the children, today you were brave and smart. Let us see tomorrow. Your work will be more difficult, and I hope I shall eat you up. The poor orphans went to bed, not to a warm bed prepared by loving hands, but on the straw in a cold corner. Nearly scared to death from fear, they lay there, afraid to talk, afraid even to breathe. The next morning the witch ordered all the linen to be woven and a large supply of firewood to be brought from the forest. The children took the towel and comb and ran away as fast as their feet could possibly carry them. The dogs were after them, but they threw them the cookies that were left, and gates did not open themselves, but the children smoothed them with oil. The birch tree near the path almost scratched their eyes out, but the gentle girl fastened a pretty ribbon to it, so they went farther and farther and ran out of the dark forest into the wide, sunny fields. The cat sat down by the loom and tore the thread to pieces, doing it with delight. Baba Yaga returned. "'Where are the children?' she shouted, and began to beat the cat. "'Why hast thou let them go, thou treacherous cat? "'Why hast thou not scratched their faces?' "'The cat answered, "'Well, it was because I have served thee so many years, "'and thou hast never given me a bite, "'while the dear children gave me some good ham.' "'The witch scolded the dogs, the gates, and the birch-tree near the path. "'Well,' barked the dogs, Thou certainly art our mistress, but thou hast never done us a favor, and the orphans were kind to us. The gates replied, We were always ready to obey thee, but thou didst neglect us, and the dear children smoothed us with oil. The birch tree lisped with its leaves, Thou hast never put a simple thread over my branches, and the little darlings adorned them with a pretty ribbon. Baba Yaga understood that there was no help, and started to follow the children herself, in her great hurry, she forgot to look for the towel and the comb, but jumped astride a broom and was off. The children heard her coming and threw the towel behind them. At once a river, wide and blue, appeared and watered the field. Baba Yaga hopped along the shore until she finally found a shallow place and crossed it. Again the children heard her hurry after them, and so they threw down the comb. This time a forest appeared, a dark and dusky forest in which the roots were interwoven, the branches matted together, and the treetops touching each other. The witch tried very hard to pass through, but in vain, and so, very, very angry, she returned home. The orphans rushed to their father, told him all about their great distress, and thus concluded their pitiful story. "'Ah, father dear, why dost thou love us less than our brothers and sisters?' The father was touched and became angry. He sent the wicked stepmother away and lived a new life with his good children. From that time he watched over their happiness and never neglected them any more. How do I know this story is true? Why, one was there who told me about it. First of all, I really love that foreword. I like the fact that She's putting forth a reason for preserving these tales, and it coincides with the other folklorists and researchers that were doing the same kinds of things, and it really highlights a desire for all of these different cultures to preserve their origins and their stories. 
as I said before early on, this is really a great way to get to know the people who lived at this time and to know what they were afraid of and what they aspired to, what was important to them. So I didn't want to leave that forward out. I wanted to make sure that I read it. Now, on to Baba Yaga. I'm fascinated by this one for a lot of reasons, not the least of which, Baba Yaga, for some reason, lives in a cottage with the feet of a chicken. I looked a bit into chickens in Russian folklore, but it kept bringing me back to Baba Yaga, so I'm not certain why the cottage has chicken legs. A lot of people suppose that it's really just a figurative way to refer to a house on stilts, like you might find in a typical swampy forest. Also, it's mentioned in the story, but part of the difficulty is getting into the cottage, because the legs aren't stationary, and often the hut is in motion. Now, I tried to find out something about the origin of her name, and while Baba is pretty straightforward, and is almost certainly simply old woman, grandmother, or something of that nature, Yaga is more mysterious. There are similar words throughout the Slavic and nearby languages that could be the origin, and lend meanings like snake, horror, anger, witch, or worry. And any or all of them would be fairly appropriate, so who really knows? Baba Yaga may seem a bit familiar, and if you read some other stories where she makes appearances, you'll see even more of it. One of the reasons I picked this particular story is because it has some elements from several tales we've covered so far. We have the father who remarries a woman who mistreats his children. We have them being abandoned by the parents, or in this case at least, they are sent away under false pretenses as opposed to being left in the woods like Little Thumb and his brothers. The siblings find themselves stuck in the service of an old woman, who gives them incredibly difficult tasks, and you might remember that Cinderella is given those kinds of tasks by her wicked stepmother. The children are then aided by animals, and manage to escape Baba Yaga with their help, along with that of one of the trees. Also, there are some inanimate gates that lend their service as well. The gates were the strangest part, if you ask me. I mean, Cinderella talks to trees as well in the version that we read, but the helpful gates get more interesting when you come across a detail not explicitly mentioned in this particular story. Sometimes, Baba Yaga's fence that surrounds her home is made from the human bones of the children she has eaten. I've said it before, but there are way too many people trying to eat children in these stories. So, as you can tell, Baba Yaga either influenced or is influenced by a lot of other stories. And when you think about it, it all seems to point to the fact that the woods are scary and you should just not go out there. It's not much of a stretch to imagine, really, that these stories serve, at least in part, to keep wandering curious children out of the dark, frightening forests and swamps. The interesting wrinkle in this story seems to be that there's a moral that reinforces being kind to everyone you meet and helping them when they need it. These two kids are attentive to those around Baba Yaga, and in the end, it's that selflessness that saves them. There's some of that in versions of Cinderella, but not quite so obviously. And Little Thumb doesn't really showcase selflessness at all. 
He's looking out for himself and his family, but he's a downright thief and an accessory in the murder of at least seven ogres. There's another interesting detail that isn't mentioned in this story, but that was brought to my attention by one of my listeners way back in episode one. Baba Yaga sometimes rides a broom, as she did in this story, but sometimes she rides around in a mortar and steers it with a pestle. The fact that Rumpelstiltskin, in one version of his story, ends up angrily flying out a kitchen window on a ladle was not lost on patron Stacy Atkins, and she wondered if there might be a relationship back then, well before I decided to cover Baba Yaga. I tried to find a connection, but it seems the two figures don't cross paths all that much, except maybe that Rumpelstiltskin seems to show up to help beautiful young maidens complete impossible tasks, and Baba Yaga seems to hand them out. If we allow ourselves a flight of fancy, no pun intended, maybe Baba Yaga and Rumpelstiltskin have a history. Maybe where they come from, flying on kitchen implements is just how people get around, and maybe that makes Rumpelstiltskin a mortal enemy of Baba Yaga. I don't know. They're both trying to get the children, though. It's also true that Baba Yaga, as often as she is dangerous, is also sometimes helpful to the people who cross her path. So, Stacy, there are some real similarities, not just with their preferred method of transportation, but with their apparent M.O. You know, I am really hopeful that I never get lost in a fairy tale forest. Now, before we wrap this up, I want to let you know that in a couple of weeks, we'll be headed into October, and that means Halloween season. I don't see how I can have a podcast like this one and not do some special things for Halloween. So, things are going to get a little bit spooky very soon. I have some multi-part episodes coming up, and you can expect more than four episodes in October. Kicking things off, we're taking a little trip back to the turn of the 20th century and pulling back the curtain on the terrors of the cosmos with H.P. Lovecraft. And at the end of October, we'll be paying a visit to the master of the macabre himself, Edgar Allan Poe. It's going to be a lot of fun and very scary. More details to come. Now, if you're having fun listening to Fado, you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'm on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Don't forget to share and leave a review if you like what you're hearing. If you leave me comments or questions, I might even be able to read them on the air. You can also keep up and follow me on Facebook as well as Instagram. I'm at Fado Podcast. And if you want to support me more directly, you can become a patron. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. There will be behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, and also merch. I have stickers already, and if you become a patron, I can guarantee you one in your membership letter. That's right, I'll send you a personally handwritten note in the mail with a sticker. Also, if you join, you'll get a mention here on the show. Speaking of which, I'd like to say hello to my newest patron, Lori Bell Boyd. Thank you very much, Lori Bell. You have my eternal and undying gratitude. Look for that envelope in the mail very soon. Okay, that brings us to the end of episode 17. Watch for episode 18 coming out on September 20th. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time. <laughs>